0: Hi, this is Lights, Camera, Author. I'm Jim Juno, and the background may look a little bit different today. This is because I'm at my work office, and we're uh, doing this interview a little bit earlier in the day than we normally do. But this is Lights, Camera, Author, and this is the podcast where we talk with authors who write about TV, Hollywood, entertainment, and basically anything that catches our fancy. And I have with me today a man who has a book on the bestseller list, I believe. Um, it is called Trial, and although it is a work of fiction, you probably have read his work. I would say you most likely you've read his work. Uh, he's had 16 bestsellers. I'm sure that this one's going to be another one. Richard North Patterson, welcome to Light Camera Author. Thank you, Jim. Now, you, uh, I'm going to address the 500-pound gorilla in the room right away. Because you uh, you raised some eyebrows with an op-ed you wrote uh, in the Wall Street Journal. And um, now trial, this has been a, its own trial, getting it published, hasn't it?
1: Uh, it has been. Uh, and I should give a little bit of background. So this is going to be somewhat of a long answer, but it will make sense of how I ended up on the front page or review section of the Wall Street Journal. Um, uh, I've written a novel since uh, 2014. Uh, in between that time, I wrote about 300 uh, uh, essays or columns for national publications centered on politics. And it occurred to me, Jim, that I kept returning to directly and indirectly the subject of race and uh, our racial problems in America. Um, and so I began to think that I wanted to write a novel uh, which addressed race head on while trying to tell an exciting story. My late friend Pat Conroy uh, often said that fiction is where I go to tell the truth. And I believe that good fiction uh, can engage people in an exciting story while causing them to look at social uh, problems in a bit of a different way than they might have otherwise done that. So that's what I set out to do. Um, uh, I um, uh, began to think about problems of you uh, know, equal justice is raised by the George Floyd case, um, of voter suppression, uh, which is a big issue in the state of Georgia, for example, of the politicization and exploitation of um, uh, racial anxiety and anger by uh, right wing politicians and the media, uh, and the problems of getting a fair trial uh, in racially charged cases. So I came up with a plot which basically involved the uh, arrest on only trial on charges of capital murder of an 18-year-old black voting rights worker in rural Georgia, um, uh, stemming from the uh, shooting death of a white sheriff's deputy after a nighttime traffic stop. So that was my plot. Now, obviously, if you're a white guy and you're going to write about uh, problems which concern us all, but, or should concern us all, but ensnare um, um non-white people in particular, you've got to go and talk to the people who've encountered the problem. You have to meet them where they live. So that's what I did. I went to Georgia, interviewed over 50 people, uh, a good half of them uh, black Georgians, um, ministers, civil rights leaders, voting rights leaders, uh, politicians, community leaders, um, uh, anyone who had um information which would help me write this realistically uh, and so i did I, I then talked to my agents and this is where we get to the meat of your question um and they said great idea And by the way now that you've written it this is a great novel and we really we, we really think it's very strong uh, but you're in a world of hurt because you're a white guy uh and you're proposing to write about um black characters Uh, From their perspective, and you're addressing issues which uh, particularly um, afflict uh, Black Americans. Uh, And I said, yeah, but that's the book I want to write. That's why I wrote it. Um, They said, okay. They didn't have to tell me what the problem was. Um, You'll remember Janine Cummins in American Dirt in um, 2020, when she was castigated and ultimately pretty much exiled writing a book about a Mexican mother and son trying to cross, cross the border uh, into the United States. Zadie Smith um, uh, had addressed this before in a big essay in a New York review of books saying, I couldn't have written a single book if I were confined by my ethnicity, because I've written about all varieties of people and circumstance, um, my ethnicity or identity for that matter. Um, but I mean, it keeps on happening. So I knew what happened to me is this: um, my book was rejected by 19 major publishing imprints, uh, part of the you know publishing conglomerates in um, in New York now, uh, and you know, they were often pretty explicit. Uh, you will be, quote, rightly criticized for writing this book. Uh, we only care to hear about subjects from, quote, marginalized voices. You are too white for black people. This just isn't quite the right kind of book for your reentry into fiction. Uh, one publisher called my agent, said, I love this book. I know just how to publish it. It's terrific. All I need to do is talk to young people in my, in my publishing house. And that killed it. Um, and so, you know, what I was up against, is a new prevailing theology in, in, in Publishing Jim, which goes something like this. It's not safe for white people to write from the perspective of non-white um, characters or about problems which uh, afflict, afflict non-whites in particular. Um, and, you know, that's when I took the pages of the Wall Street Journal. And by the way, I did find a publisher, as you know, uh, um, an independent press willing to take this on. But I think the larger question is way bigger than my book, Uh, and it's this, uh, can empathy and imagination cross the lines of identity in literature, and for that matter, in our society? And my answer to that is yes, not only can they, but they really must. But um, as you know, uh, it is a terrible controversy right now. Uh, And so I've been engaged in a, a discussion I never really wanted, but um, am happy to take on um, you know, which is you know, should the subject matter of an author be limited to that indicated by their personal identity to be more specific can white people only write about white people and for that matter can they be presumed to understand all white people because they're white uh, you start to chase that down a rabbit hole very far and you realize this really makes no sense at all but here we are
0: the, and the most important word I think you mentioned in in that answer is empathy. I mean, at no point in your book, and at no point on any of the interviews that I've read uh, with you on this matter, do you ever claim that I know what black people are like? I know what black people went through. I know I now you say you understand, and I and I understand too, because for the past twenty years, I've worked I've worked at an HBCU and historically black college or university. So and I know what it's like to be, to be, you know, a handful of Caucasians working in in a, a black dominated atmosphere. I don't ever pretend to know what it's like to be black, and I don't see you saying that at all in any of your interviews. You understand what they went through because you did copious research into this, this book
1: you know i think that's the uh essence of it if you're gonna write about someone whose identity and experiences are way different than yours and you have to meet them where they live and you have to ask them everything about their experience and listen to the answers i mean there's just no way no other way to do it but if you do that work and do it well then you've enriched the broader stream of literature
0: yes yeah, and and that's, a, that's exactly the point is that yes i understand I I did research. I understand what what happened in World War II. I wasn't there in World War II, so I know, but I understand what people went through. And that's exactly what you're saying in these books. Um, You know, it really amazes me that people can't see the difference.
1: Well, it's it's very troublesome. I mean, first of all, think about what makes good literature. Um, It's not... Primarily, or certainly not only, the ethnic identity of the author and the presumed authenticity of experience, although that has its limits. It's also the ability to craft a good narrative, psychological acuity, the ability to write dialogue the way that people really speak, um, the ability to raise a set to, to describe a setting where you locate the the writer, and above all, empathy and imagination. I mean, if if we assume that we are confined by your identity uh, as an author. What are we to do with Anna Karenina and Madame Bovary, a classic books centered on women written by men? Um, you know, what are we to do with the work of Charles Dickens or Emile Zola or Upton Sinclair or Tom Wolfe, people who are in the social realist school who did copious research to explore? Um, lives and settings different than their own and what they're familiar and then translate to the readers. Now they're all white guys. Okay. Um, but I don't think anyone would say the literature is better off without Flaubert or Tolstoy or Sinclair or Zola or Tom Wolf uh, or Mark Twain well, for that matter.
0: A, let's carry it to another extreme. Let's take, take books written by L B G T Q authors, but they're writing about their characters are straight characters. So should LBTGQ should LBT uh, GQ authors only write about gay and lesbian and transgender because they wouldn't understand or they wouldn't know what a what a straight person is like, and vice versa, would straight authors only write about straight authors?
1: Well, I mean, cle- you're right. In, in in clearly not because if you're going to write about this, you know, this country. And you cannot be confined to any one uh, gender identity, sexuality, um, background. I mean, it's simply, it simply would simply be too narrow uh, to work as a representation of any slice of America. Um, and so, it is certainly true uh, uh, that LGBTQ um, uh, Americans have something distinct and lived to say about their experience. it's also true that they cannot portray that experience in fiction without addressing all the other people who are not them. Um, okay. In order to be able to do that, they have to be permitted to imagine their way, research their way, think their way, experience their way into the heads of others.
0: See that. And so it's, it's like, where do you draw the line? And if should there even be a line?
1: now? Uh, I don't think I don't think there should be a line. Now, I do say the readers and reviewers have every right to say, "Ah, uh-uh, you didn't do the job right. Uh, this isn't persuasive to me. This is lazy. This is stereotypical. Whatever it is, they think." You know, if you're going to write across the lines of identity, then you're, you then you open yourself up to that, and you have to accept uh, the rules of engagement. But here's where I get off what the preemptive censors are saying and what they're saying to me is you don't have a right to write this book and this book should not be published. We are going to deprive others of the right to make a judgment of this book because we are uh, acting as the gatekeepers to make sure that it's never published. Now, not only will that kill books that are written, but it will keep books from being written by people who are afraid to write them because they know um, that they're going to get themselves in trouble. So basically it's, it's, uh, it's literary suffocation. Um, I would add that um, the people who um, you declined my book on the basis of race were, by virtue of the demographics of Manhattan Publishing, overwhelmingly white. It is also pretty sure that few if any of them had the direct experience um, of uh, racial issues that the uh, black Georgians I interviewed share with me from their own lived experience. Uh, and yet they congratulate themselves that they're the literary benefactors of Black America. And you really wonder, I mean, it, it is such a overweening conceit that you really do wonder if they ever look in the mirror and somehow fail to see the uh, book banners on the right or the racial history suppressors. Um, or the people who they would deplore. And the only thing you can assume is they think, well, I'm entitled to be a censor because I'm right. Um, And other people aren't entitled to be censors because they're wrong. I mean, where do you go with that?
0: Exactly. See, And what I don't understand is why it should be an issue at all. Because you do have African-American authors who you're not going to, you're jeopardizing them as well as Caucasian authors. I mean black people should only write about black people we had that we had that in movies back up until the 1980s and you saw where it got us there i mean it was like it was like the only african-americans you saw on in movies or tv were maids or or butlers or you know i mean that and unless it was a what's called a race picture so we don't want to go back to those days
1: well, you know, no, no, we don't. And, you know, for that matter, there goes the fiction of James Baldwin, uh, okay. you know, to, uh, uh, you know, to, to pick out an example. I mean, I, my, my view of all this is we don't need a, a black literature presently written by black writers for black readers. Although it's important for black readers to have authors that they, that they can identify with. We certainly don't, need a white literature written for white people uh, on the theory that it's arrogant um, um, and presumptuous, um, kill that, um, to um, uh, write about somebody whose identity is different than your own. I mean, that really goes nowhere. We need an American literature which encourages people to write um, across the lines of identity and to do the work necessary to Uh, makes the literature work. And not only that, it's good for our society. I mean, we're in a terrible, we're in terribly polarized times. And among the things we are, frankly, is racially polarized. I mean, race diffuses our politics. It's uh, one thing that uh, inspired me to write this book. Um, And it is counterproductive to say, we're going to divide literature into ethnic neighborhoods in, in, in any more than is to say, well, okay, white people, you can't understand black people, so don't even try, um, and vice versa. I mean, you know, we'd be in a world of hurt. And this didn't used to be a problem. Um, you know, it's, it's become a problem um, uh, in the last decade. Um, and I'll, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that um, no one can explain to me who is really helped by this. Uh, by by preemptive censorship. I mean, it is certainly, it's not like its authors of fiction are applying for the same job in an org chart. Every book is its own creation, unique to its author and stems from the author's imagination, creativity, and work. Um, it, It makes no sense to say, well, we won't publish this book, and so some other kind of book by some other presumably more uh, appropriate author will be published somewhere else i mean publishing is not a zero-sum game it doesn't work that way um and i think um you know there's a kind of feeling that well, white folks have had it their own way for a long time you know so the hell with you well i get it the white people have had had uh, the dominant place in this society i mean american society always um And I get it and believe that we should have more um, uh, black publishers and editors um, and and more non-white authors. But it doesn't do to say, well, okay, we're now going to start banning uh, white people regardless of substance because they're white. Um, You know, it makes no sense to the broader cause of literature. Uh, It makes no sense to promoting uh, understanding across the lines of identity, uh, it just it, it just doesn't work. And nobody has ever explained to me, as I say in concrete terms, why preemptive censorship primarily on the basis of the author's race is a good thing.
0: I want to talk about the book. I don't want to- I don't want Yeah, to to... oh that. <laughs> the book is Trial. Now it begins with a young black man coming home from uh, from working um, at a, like registering uh, voters, and if I correct me if I get one of these things wrong because I, I can I got several things going on in my mind right now. But a young black man is on his way home past midnight. He encounters a Georgia sheriff, and one thing leads to another, and the Georgia the sheriff ends up getting killed. Now you did a lot of research, especially with a, with a group called the New Georgia Project, didn't
1: you? I, I I, did. And, you know, to construct this book, as I say, I interviewed a lot of people um, in Georgia from all sorts of points of view. Uh, but I should start by saying that, that the mother of this young man who ends up on trial for capital murder is a voting rights leader named Allie Hill, uh, who is the Uh, a leading voting rights advocate in the nation, and she's uh, located in Georgia. Um, You know, she's mom. In order to get, you know, what her life professionally and personally would be like uh, on the firing line of, of voting rights in Georgia, I interviewed several voting rights leaders, including the head of the New Georgia Project, uh, a black woman who shared with me the fact that she got death threats, the fact that her her home and image were uh, were posted on on white nationalist websites in inflammatory ways, uh, the fact that yeah, she had to pay a lot for uh, personal security and security for offices which were afflicted with bomb threats, um, and so I really sort of dug into what motivated her um, and and the cost of uh, of, of, of doing the work. So the group is the New Georgia Project. Uh, they have been instrumental um, in registering um, um, non-white voters in 2020 and 2022. Uh, they, their work, I think, made the difference in electing Joe Biden uh, in, in Georgia, certainly, uh, in electing John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. Uh, made the difference in saving Raphael Warnock in in 2022. Um, but they're not paid a lot. They work hard and the personal price they pay is high.
0: Yeah and I mean it, and Georgia has a has a perception problem anyway uh, being when it comes to civil rights. As far The South as a whole has a perception problem and it's it, it seems like the current state of affairs isn't doing much. They're almost embracing that. Not, you know, not the African-Americans, but the white population almost seems to be embracing that, uh, for want of a better word, racist view.
1: Well, I would say that race, race and racism are more overt now, um, than they have been. And sometimes our recent past, I will add that I make a point, um, uh, of of uh, underscoring residential segregation in the north, uh, the nasty racial history of the city of Boston, where my principal white character comes from, and all of that. But I think it doesn't do to deny the salience of race uh, in voter suppression, because clearly uh, what has happened in Georgia is directed at Black people. Uh, the closing of... of of uh, polling places in black areas. The uh, reversal by the Republican Party, who once once re- embraced voting by mail when they were turning out mainly older conservative white people, uh, and uh, past is delimited when the New Georgia Project and others used it to start registering black people in 2020. Um, I mean, this ridiculous thing, Jimmy, you're probably familiar with, um, where um, um, you can't, it's a, it's, a, it's a misdemeanor to pass out water or food to somebody in a long voting, voting rights uh, uh, voting line. So it's better for grandma to keel over a heat stroke to vote, right? I mean, uh, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, but, you know, about the book, I did my damnedest to tell an exciting story on a personal level um, as well as a a level of issues. So the three major characters are my young man on trial for murder, uh, his mom, a single mother, who is a prominent uh, voting rights uh, worker, and a third person um, um, who is a white congressman from Massachusetts, who discovers to his shock that his relationship in college with a woman he loved and lost, Allie Hill, has led to the existence of uh, a black 18-year-old teenager um, on trial for capital murder in Georgia. And so it's about a love uh, lost and found, the ordeal of these three people in the vortex of a nationally televised murder trial colored by race, um, the um, effort of the white Congressman Chase Brevard to form a relationship with a young black man who hasn't known a father and who uh, had no reason to expect the dad would end up being a white congressman um, uh, from a very different place in in America. Um, And how all those people do uh, under the crushing pressure of of a murder trial is very much at the heart of the story. The other thing is the effort of his his defense lawyer, a black Georgian, to defend uh, young Malcolm Hill um, uh, in a rural county uh, where, you know, the jury pool is very problematic and in a case where this thing becomes a national firestorm like the george floyd case so all those things come together in what i think is an exciting story you can't tell an exciting story your book's just a bound lecture nobody's going to read it exactly. um so um you know i certainly tried to get that part
0: right well the book is trial the author is richard north patterson mr patterson I know this is going to be another bestseller for you, and I thank you again for being on Light Camera Author today.
1: Well, it's a, it's a, it's a pleasure. Uh, great to meet you over Zoom, Jim, and I. I hope it's not the last time.